said in Psalm 90 that he is our dwelling place in all generations. Now, this congregation was established 31 years ago, I guess it is, this fall. And we have young people today who are being baptized from the third generation now of this congregation. That's not a reflection of who we are. That's a reflection of the grace of God. And as much as a blessing that that is, there's, there's even a greater blessing in that uh, and about this baptism service, and that is that these young people are a testimony to the vitality and the growth of the kingdom of God, the universal church of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God here on earth is alive and well. It is prospering. It is growing. It's continuing on. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And this morning is the fulfillment of that. I'm thankful to be part of one of the greatest, no, the greatest cause that will ever be, period. And that is the cause of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, it says that from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry here on this earth. And Matthew tells us that uh, after that, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he came upon two brothers, fishermen, Simon and Andrew, and he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the scriptures tell us that immediately they left their nets and they followed Jesus. And going from there, he saw two more brothers, two other brothers, James and John, the son of, sons of Zebedee, and they were fishermen as well. And he called them to follow him. And immediately they left their boat and their father and they followed Jesus. Well, I'm thankful this morning that Jesus is still calling followers to follow him. He's still calling young men and young women to follow him today in 2019. And it's Jesus who is calling them. So this morning in the sermon, I would like to think of uh, four characteristics of those of followers of Jesus Christ. And I'd like to begin in Romans chapter six. You may turn with me to. The book of Romans, chapter 6. Romans, chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. 
For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin, because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid, know ye not, that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For yet, for when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now in a little while, you five sitting up here in the front benches, you will Daniel is going to stand in front of you and and one of the things that he's going to tell you after you're baptized is he's going to tell you give you your name and he's going to say um, arise in the name of Jesus Christ and his church arise and like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father even so you also shall walk in newness of life that's what you're going to hear from him this morning and that comes straight out of Romans chapter 6 in verse 5 here for we have if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. I'm sorry, verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, and like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So as we think about characteristics or identifying marks of followers of Jesus Christ, I like to think first of all that followers of Jesus walk in newness of life. This chapter in Romans 6 here, speaks of the transforming power of Jesus Christ. When a person believes in Jesus and makes the choice to follow Jesus and to live after him, there's a transformation that takes place in that person. It's a transformation of the heart. It's not an external transformation from the outside in, but it's a transformation of the heart from the outside in. Yes, it will affect every part of your person and your being and your life. It will show on the external, but it begins in the heart. That's what it means to walk in newness of life. That's what must happen. And there are two things that are happening here in Romans chapter 6. First of all, there is death. There is something that must die. But then there is also birth of new life. There's something that is being made alive. Paul is comparing the new birth 
That transformation that takes place in our lives, he's comparing that to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross. His body was laid on, in the tomb. There was no life in his body. It was dead. It was He was physically dead. Just as Jesus had to die before he could rise again, so there must be death that takes place in our lives before there can be birth to new life. Before that transformation takes place, there's something that must die. And in verse 6, Paul identifies that thing that must die in our lives. He says, Our old man is crucified with him. And then he also uses the phrase, The body of sin might be destroyed. So the Scriptures use the term, The old man, the flesh, the self, the old nature, That's what needs to die within us before we can give birth to new life. Now, all of us can identify with being controlled by the old man. Before the new birth, we were controlled by him. The flesh dictated the choices that we made and the way that we lived. We were the servants of sin, as Paul describes here in the latter part of Romans 6. And we lived after the nature of Adam. That is who we were. But I praise God this morning that when this old man, this body of sin, this Adamic nature that we are all born with, when that is put to death, then there is a resurrection of new life. Now I'd like for you to notice all the times in this scripture that it refers to new life. Verse 4, raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Verse 5, we also shall... In the likeness, if we're planted in the likeness of his death, we shall also, in the likeness of his resurrection, verse 8, we believe we shall also live with him. Verse 9, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. Verse 10, for in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Verse 11, it says, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 13, as those that are alive from the dead, yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness. It says, neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield them yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. So just as Jesus' death was followed by His resurrection. Resurrection to new life. So also in your hearts, in our hearts. Death to the old man is followed by a resurrection of new and incorruptible life. Those old passions, those old motivations, that old dictator of self is replaced by the Spirit of the living God. We are no longer motivated to be the servants of sin, but we're given the power to be the servants of righteousness and the servants of God. Now to each of you who are planning to be baptized, I'd just like to remind you that this miracle of transformation that God has done in your hearts is one of the greatest miracles ever. John 3 says that whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him. And uh, that word seed, the Greek word is spermatos. We get our English word sperm from that. God has put 
His seed into your hearts. The seed of life eternal. That is an amazing miracle that takes place. We don't know how He does that. And what makes it even more miraculous is the fact that we are mere humans. We are completely unworthy. We are flesh and blood. We are sinful. And yet God sees fit to make us partakers of His divine nature. That's the way that Peter describes it. We're, We're partakers of His divine nature. He puts that seed in our hearts and it remains there. Now, this scripture makes it clear that the old man is crucified. The body of sin is destroyed. It's eradicated. The scripture tells us that. But we need to go no further than Romans chapter 7, the very next chapter, to see that even though this miracle of transformation has taken place in our heart, the struggle between the flesh and the spirit is going to continue in our lives, even though at the new birth, the old man is crucified, it's destroyed. There's a root that remains within us that we've got to deal with as long as we live in this flesh, as long as we live in this body. And that root has the potential to sprout and to bring forth life again. Now, I have used the analogy of a locust tree here before, and I'm just going to give it again this morning. Probably this comes from um, just observing trees on my property. I have a lot of locust trees at home. And uh, locust trees aren't very nice trees. They're ugly. Uh, they, they can be useful for fence posts. They don't rot very well. But as far as a tree goes, they're not very nice trees. And I like to think of your heart. I'd like for you to think of your heart this morning as a plot of land just a small plot of land, maybe about the size of your garden. And in our fallen nature, we are born, uh, and, and on that plot, that little plot of land, as you begin your life, there is a seed, the seed of a locust tree. And that little seed very quickly takes root, and it sprouts and springs out of the ground, and just, and at first it is just a small sapling. That's how all trees begin, small and not very noticeable, not very, um, not pretty, but not necessarily ugly or obnoxious either. But this thing grows fast, okay? Locust trees grow fast. And before long, it's eight or ten feet high, and if you look closely, there's thorns sticking out of the trunk, and it's getting uglier and more noticeable all the time. Time goes on and this tree becomes 30 feet tall and it's ugly. It's grown twisted and crooked like locust trees often do. And this ugly tree has become the dominating feature of this little plot of ground. Okay, that is you and the old man that is dominating your life. That's me and the old man that is that has dominated my life. More time goes on and perhaps you begin to think about how useless this tree is and what a waste it is of this little plot of ground just to grow this despicable locust. And and this locust tree has now become awful looking. I've got locust trees on my property that are twisted and ugly and they're huge and they're full of poison ivy vines wrapped all around them and they're they're just a mass, one mass of ugliness. That's what they are. 
And that's the picture that I get of, of this old locust tree. Um, but God begins to speak to you. And He knows, you know, that He wants to use your heart. He wants this plot of ground to produce good fruit. Okay, and if this plot of ground is going to make produce good fruit, something's going to have to happen to the locust tree. It's going to have to go. And so you come to the decision to cut down the locust tree. You get rid of it. Okay, that's the transformation. That's the original transformation that must take place in all of our hearts. And that old locust tree doesn't cut easily. It's hard and it's tough. But with the help of God and the power of His Spirit, we can get rid of that thing. That old man, we can destroy it. And God is making your little plot of ground beautiful. He's been busy preparing the soil. He's planted new life. Remember, when the old life is gone, then new life, then He gives resurrection to new life. And perhaps out of that little plot of ground, now there's a beautiful little apple sapling that is growing. And that apple tree uh, becomes bigger and it's loaded with white blossoms in the spring and it begins to bear fruit and it's flourishing and people notice the change that has taken over this plot of ground. You no longer notice an ugly, dominating locust tree, but you notice this beautiful apple tree that is producing fruit. And this apple tree becomes your life. You water it. You prune it. You take care of it. But one day as you are out looking at your apple tree, you notice that beside your tree, there's a, a locust sprout growing up out of the ground. And if you know anything about locust trees, that's just the way they are. You think you've gotten rid of them, but there's a sprout that comes up. And very quickly, you can have a new tree coming where you thought you had gotten rid of anything that was locust. And so you quickly get rid of it you dig it out, you cut it out, you cut it down, whatever you need to do. But after a while, there's another one and another one. And you notice that if you don't cut them off, they would grow fast and they would overcome the apple tree. So part of preserving the apple tree is keeping the locust sprouts cut off. And even as that apple tree matures and brings forth beautiful fruit, Delicious apples, you must still constantly be on guard for the little locust sprouts that come up from that old stump. Now, it's hard for us to, to understand that sometimes because we think that stump should be dead. We think it should be gone. We can't see it anymore, it, but somehow, even though it's down under the earth and it's buried and we think it's been taken care of, yet the sprouts come up. That's a little bit what you can expect. I don't want to be pessimistic about the Christian life, but it's not all victory and soaring. And, and it's a battle. Daniel talked about that this morning. It's part of it. The old man is like that old locust stump, and we can't ever root him completely out. Now, hopefully, as we grow and mature, and I look at men... Uh, who are much older and wiser and mat more mature in their Christian lives than I am. And I see how they have almost completely gotten rid of that old man to where it no longer affects them. And I look forward to hopefully someday being more like that. But right now, I'm still cutting down locust sprouts in my life. So we can expect that, I believe. But 
We don't need to despair. We have every resource that we need to take care of that thing. Every resource God has given to us. So don't think today that that after today that the Spirit of God will take you to some ethereal heights where you will be soaring above the problems of life. That's just not the way it will be. Walking after the Spirit and crucifying the flesh is a choice that you need to make every day. Um, verses, this, this, Paul tells us that in this chapter. In verse 11, he says, Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. In verse 12, he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Verse 13, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Verse 16, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey? Verse 19, he says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, even so now yield your members to righteousness unto holiness. That I see in those verses personal responsibility. Okay, God does the initial transaction and He gives you every resource that you need to walk above the power of sin and to walk in newness of life. But you have got personal responsibility to choose every day to walk in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit of God is a choice. That's what it is. And it's your responsibility to make that choice to choose to serve righteousness and to choose to serve God. And to choose to yield your members, your old man, to render him dead. That's a choice that you need to make every day. So keep cutting down the locust sprouts. Now the thing that is thrilling about Romans chapter 6 is that the reason that the old man can be crucified and the reason that we don't need to serve self and the reason we can be dead to sin and to the world is because we are alive unto God. Okay, we have... There is a living connection. Remember, His seed remains in us. We are, we are partakers of the divine nature. That's the power that we have to overcome. There's new life. There's new purpose. There's new motivation. The new spirit. A new ruler on the throne room of your heart. Okay? If you want to put it that way. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, everything is new. So followers of Jesus walk in newness of life. Number two, followers of Jesus are willing to pay the price of following Him. And Daniel touched on this this morning. Um, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives a little parable. I'm not going to turn to that. But the parable is about a merchant man. Uh, this merchant man, he's a buyer and seller of goods is what he is. He trades for a living. And in his trading and, and dealing, he has developed an interest for pearls. Okay, he kind of has an attraction for pearls and maybe people have paid him in pearls and so on. But anyway, he, he has this hobby of collecting pearls. And he always keeps his eyes open for nice pearls. Now I'm using my imagination a little, but this is, this is the story that Jesus gives. Anyway, one day he comes across the biggest and most beautiful and most perfect pearl that he has ever seen. 
It's the pearl of all pearls. And he just knows that he needs to get it. He needs to have it. The problem is, it's expensive. It's going to cost him a lot of money. It's going to cost him, in fact, it's going to cost him everything. He knows that if he wants to get this pearl, he's going to have to sell everything that he has. And so he does just that. He thinks about it and he decides that this pearl is going to be worth that. So he liquidates his business. He sells out his assets, his home, his possessions. He puts them up for sale. He gets the money and he goes and he buys this pearl that he just has to have. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like that. I like to tell you this morning that the kingdom of heaven is worth everything else that you have. There is nothing, nothing worth keeping at the expense of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says it's going to cost you. Second Corinthians 4, Paul tells us that the light of the knowledge through Jesus Christ is a treasure that we possess in earthen vessels. It's, it's that pearl of great price. Its value cannot be measured. It's worth dying for. It's worth giving everything. And I think I know well, you well enough from instruction class and your interaction with us uh, that, that you have counted the cost to following Jesus. But just in case you have thought that following Jesus was going to be easy, I'm here to tell you that it's going to cost you. Paul compares the Christian to a soldier and also to a runner. And now both being a soldier and being a runner require discipline. Uh, they require grueling training and hard work. If you want to be a good soldier, you're going to have to work hard. It's going to take a lot out of you to become a soldier. If you're going to be a runner, you're going to have to train and work. It's, you're not going to be a good runner by just being who you are. You need to work for it. This, the, the songwriter says, Must I be carried through the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? So following Jesus just might. Maybe I should say it's very likely to cost you more than it costs your fathers and grandfathers even. Why do I say that? Because America has been very good to Christians in the last 200 years. We haven't had very little persecution, very little outside resistance. Looking back just in my short life, I think those good times in America have climaxed. America's tolerance for Christianity is going down. It's obvious things are changing. They may start changing faster. And so there's a real possibility that someday you might be called to testify of Jesus Christ before the courts of the land because of your faith. Have you thought about that? Are you willing to die for the sake of Jesus? No one to make you fearful, but we need to think about those things. The Martyr's Mirror is a book we're familiar with. It's also called The Bloody Theater of the Defenseless Christians. History shows us that many times in the past, Christians have been called to die for their faith. They've been required to to pay the price of following Jesus with their own blood. 
They've been called to play a part in this bloody theater, the bloody theater of the defenseless Christians. Would you and I be willing to play a part in that theater if God chose so? But when we realize the value of this great pearl as a merchant did, it's not a hard choice to make. Even though it costs us everything, it's easier than being a slave to sin. It's easier than the alternative. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The way of the transgressor is hard, the scriptures tell us. Jesus says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. In, in Mark chapter 8, Jesus says these familiar words, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall I profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You have everything to gain by losing your life for the sake of Jesus. And by the way, Following Jesus is not going to cost you the things that are the most precious things in life. God never keeps back from you for any of his children the things that we really need and the things that are most precious and most valuable in life. will never cost you those things. You have all of that to gain by following Jesus. Okay, number three, followers of Jesus identify with his body. And I should take time to read from 1 Corinthians. I might just read a few verses there. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the body of Christ and how that we are all members of one body. Um, let's read a few verses beginning in verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. I think I'll stop there. Verse 13, Paul tells us, By one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Today you will be baptized into the body of Jesus Christ, into the church of Jesus Christ. The scripture tells us here in 1 Corinthians 12 that the church is made up of one whole but many parts, many members. And today, each of you will become a part or a member of that body. The Scripture tells us that every member has a part to play. 1 Corinthians 12. There is every member of... God has set the members as He has chosen, it tells us. And He says that every member, every part has a part to play. So each of you has a place to fill in the church, in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Each of you has something that you're going to bring to contribute to the building of the church. God plans to use you to help build His church, and He specifically plans to use you to help build this congregation. Now, Kimley, um, 
an instruction class, he used the term willing to be, or he used the phrase, he said that you need to be come to the church willing to be consumed rather than being a consumer. So enter the church of Jesus Christ willing to give and willing to contribute. If you remember the quote from John F. Kennedy, he said, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. That's the kind of attitude you come into the church, okay? A congregation of people who have that kind of attitude is going to be a prospering church. So very shortly here, you will be baptized in the name of Jesus. That means you are, are, are going to identify with Jesus Christ. Baptism also means that you will identify with his people. It means identifying with the local body. And I know that when you are baptized, you're baptized into the universal church of Jesus Christ, into the kingdom of God that is in all parts of the world. It's spreading all over the world. But you are also baptized into this local body. You will specifically become a member of Shade Mountain Christian Fellowship. Your journey in life may someday lead you to another congregation, to another location. But for right now, we're going to claim you as our own. And you're going to belong to us. And we're going to watch over you. And you're going to help watch out for us too. You're going to have your part to play. In the church, you're going to help to build this church. Okay, you need the church, but we also need you to be a part of this church. Now, you have all been a part of us already, but as members, it's a little bit different. There's there's a difference. You will leave this building as baptized believers and representatives of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Okay? You're going to take the name, you're going to bear the name of Jesus. You are now identified as belonging to Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And right along with that identity is it the identity of his bride. Right along with that, you represent the bride of Jesus Christ as well. And remember, as members of this congregation, you represent this body to the community, and to those you come in contact with. And it's important for you as young people to know the heart of your congregation and to represent it well. That means that you will be in tune with the people of this congregation. You will know what to ex what they expect out of your life. Uh, you're going to have your finger on the pulse of the congregation. You're going to be connected, not for our sake only, but for the sake of Jesus. Because remember, he has called us as many members into one body. Okay, so that's important for everyone. But I'm, I'm kind of targeting young people because it seems like it's easy for young people to become disconnected from the church at times. It's easy to stand on the sidelines and watch but don't let that happen. Be engaged and stay connected and value the counsel of the brotherhood. There's a lot of wisdom represented here. There's men who have lived life a lot longer than I have lived and a lot longer than you have lived. And you need to tap into that resource of wisdom. Okay, You can use that in your life. We can all use that. 
We need each other. There's, there's brotherhood. There's accountability. We need that. So if you have a decision to make, if you need advice, tap into that wisdom. They've been through the same things that you're going to face. They've seen a lot more life than you have. But you've got to ask to find out many times. Proverbs says the counsel in the heart of a man is like deep water. But the man of understanding will draw it out. So sometimes you have to work a little bit to draw it out. Proverbs also tells us that where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Peter talks about the devil being a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. And there's nobody that he'd like to devour more than people who have just committed their lives to following Jesus Christ. He's walking about. He's seeking. He's out to get your soul. And you need the protection of the brotherhood. Every one of us needs that protection. Up in the Arctic tundra and places north of us, I don't know where they all live, but there's these big, hairy, uh, humpback, ugly animals. They call them musk ox. And uh, they're not... They're not a very an animal that I know much about. I've never seen one. But one thing I do know about them is that they have a distinctive defensive behavior, and that is when the wolves come and the calves are vulnerable to the wolves. They're, they're little, they're young. But when the wolves come, the muskox, what they do, the muskoxen, they, they will form a circle around their calves and the big males will usually be in the front with their heads down and their big horns right there to fend off those wolves. And the calves are safely in the middle. That's a picture of brotherhood and protection. We need that. You need that. A calf that is out by himself is a very, very vulnerable place. The wolves are likely to get it. Okay, last of all, followers of Jesus are faithful to the end. And this morning, your baptism is a public declaration that you have decided to follow Jesus and it marks the beginning of a lifelong commitment to Him. And this beginning is very important. It's a crucial step, but it's just one step. Ahead of you stretches a journey that we don't know how long it is. You don't know how long it may be. It likely includes thousands of steps. And there will be many choices to make and battles to fight and mountains to climb. And who knows what all God will call you to. Only God knows when each of your journeys will end. The end of your journey is more important than the beginning of your journey. Because the end will reveal how you have walked and the end will tell whether or not you have been faithful to your commitment to follow Jesus. Jesus said, He that endureth to the end shall be saved. He also said, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. In Hebrews chapter 11 Verses 13 and 16, he says this way, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, 
But having seen them afar off, I want you to notice as I read these several verses how these great men of faith, what they were focused on, okay? These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, and that that is an heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, but he hath prepared for them a city. Just as those old patriarchs of faith were focused on what was ahead and what was yet to come, they were seeking a better country. They were looking ahead for the prize. So also you must keep your eyes focused on the reward, the crown of life that lays ahead, that lies ahead, I should say. Every one of us must have that focus. Paul had it. Several times he compares the Christian life to a race. In Philippians 3, he says, he tells us where his focus was. He says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He was pressing forward for the prize. Hours behind the runner in front of him, the last marathoner finally entered the Olympic Stadium. By that time, the drama of the day's events was almost over and most of the spectators had gone home. This athlete's story, however, was still being played out. Limping into the arena, the Tanzanian runner grimaced with every step, his knee bleeding and bandaged from an earlier fall. His ragged appearance immediately caught the attention of the remaining crowd who cheered him on to the finish line. Why did he stay in the race? What made him endure his injuries to the end? When asked these questions later, he replied, My country did not send me 7,000 miles away to start the race. They sent me 7,000 miles to finish it. Jesus is sending each of you or calling each of you this morning to finish the race. You're starting, but he's also calling you to finish the race. Simon Peter and Andrew and James and John, the men whom Jesus called at the beginning of his ministry, called to follow him. They were willing to make that start. Each one of them was also faithful to the end. Jesus transformed their lives and they were willing to be consumed for the cause of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. They took the words of Jesus and they established the church. His disciples established the church and the kingdom of God that was established by that little crew of men, fishermen, has gone out and is going to overtake the world. That's what Jesus promised. So, you are a part of that. As of this morning, you will be a part of that cause. And I pray that each of you will be faithful and that at the end of the journey, 
you can look back and confidently be able to say with the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy, I should be able to quote this, but I can't. 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. 